So we're going to turn to our reading. As you know, it's been our practice for this series. Um, to, when we ever hear, we hear the voice of the Lord in Scripture, to, to hear it in more than one language uh, as, a, as a way of reminding ourselves that God speaks across the globe. So Lily is going to come and uh, be repeating the, vo- the words of the Lord in Mandarin Chinese as Jim zooms in uh, the reading. Let's see. Brilliant. Okay, well, let's uh, let's turn to the reading taken from uh, 1 Kings, it's chapter 19, and we're going to be reading verses 9 to 18. We start halfway through through, uh, verse 9, I don't know if that's coming up on the screen as well, but uh, I trust that you can see something or get a Bible or hear what's going on. And uh, the story starts with Elijah in effective self-isolation, which is rather appropriate this morning. Um, He's been in a cave and he's spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 耶和华说,你出来站在山上,我在耶和华面前。And powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. 耶和华对他说,你里去吧,从你来的路,回到大马西哥的旷野去。When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. 你到了那里,就有告哈于血做烂王。Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Elijah 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. 向来跳的国，化学的刀的，必被呵护杀死；跳的国，耶和的刀的，必被伊丽莎杀死。Yet, I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all, all whose mouths have not kissed him. 但我在以色列中列战七千人，他们确实未憎巴黎区的西德。This is the word of the Lord. Decided to bring my big Bible today. I have a little one, but this one's got all the notes. So,、um, it's lovely to be with you this morning.、Um, I'm Kira. It's especially lovely to be here、um, for Jonathan's send-off.、Um, myself and my family, who are all sitting in there, the kids too, wanted to stay. Um, and、uh, we've been coming to All Saints for a few years now, so it is wonderful、um, to be with you. And I loved hearing those different languages. That's been one of my favourite things of this series: hearing the scriptures read in different languages. It's beautiful.、Um, okay, so this morning we are. Am I echoing? Am I okay? Should I stand back? Okay, get, tell me if I should do something. Otherwise, I'll just keep going.、Um, So we're looking at hearing God through the whisper, the voice of God when God whispers. Okay, so I'd like you to turn to your neighbour and tell them what do you think of when you think of whispering. What are the characteristics? What do you think of when you think of whispering? Tell your neighbour something. Okay, I know you've got masks on, so I might not hear. But can someone tell me what did you say when you th- what's associated with whispering? Privacy, privacy nice privacy, secret. something secret, gentleness, gentleness. personal, breath. Yeah, close. Really intimate. And、um, when I think of whispering, I probably think of my two-year-old who calls me really close, leans me in, and just whispers like nothing, no words, just talks n- nonsense.、Um, And I don't know. Like、um, our teacher used to do this when the class, like the school class, was really noisy and really loud, and all the kids are talking.、Um, instead of shouting, did you ever hear your teacher? They just start to whisper to try and catch your attention, and just try and listen. So you have to lean in a little bit. You have to listen a little bit harder、um, when someone whispers. And so we're thinking about the whisper on the mount、uh, today, and we're going to stay in the passage. So if you have got your your Bible closed, I recommend opening it, or your tablet or phone or whatever it is.、Um, so we're in one Kings nineteen, and we're going to. It's really from verse kind of eight to eighteen,、um, and we're going to. Work through this together and draw out. Actually, what's this got to do with today? How does this, what happened with Elijah back then, make any sense for me today?、Um, so, just some big picture. The context for this passage and the story of Elijah is a time where idol worship has been systemized by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel.、Um, Israel isn't worshiping Yahweh,、um, being faithful to God as they could be, and Elijah is a prophet. Um, his name means "My God is Yahweh,"、uh, the one who exists, the one who has breath.、Uh, Elijah is calling Israel、uh, back to be faithful to God, to Jehovah, to Yahweh. 
And um, I want us to just do a really quick snapshot because it's like a fascinating, about three chapters, go away and read it. And it's really wonderful to hear because there's so much that goes on before we arrive at this mountaintop moment with Elijah. So Elijah has been in and out of hiding. God's been telling him to hide in ravines, go stay um, with a single mum who's been widowed. Um, he's kind of in, in, his life is in danger, so he's in and out of hiding. And then finally, um, so he's kind of, there's a lot of fear going on there. And then we see uh, this moment in... Um, Chapter 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel, which you might know this, it's the big kind of fire glory showdown where Elijah invites all the prophets of Baal and other idols to come and he encourages them to see if their God can make the fire come down from the mountain and he's goading them and he's saying, come on, if your God is so real, let him bring down the fire and nothing happens. And so then he makes his altar and he puts 12 stones around, he douses it in water, he makes it absolutely soaking wet just to really prove his point that his God is the true God and God comes down in blazing fire, wipes out loads of the prophets, people are all slaughtered and God's authority and power and judgment comes down from on high. There is no debating who God is, who the true God is. And then Elijah runs ahead to the city and he is full of hope because he has just proven and seen this massive demonstration of the power of God and he runs in the city and he is waiting for the king and for Jezebel to say, do you know what? You win. You're right. Uh, our, 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 our gods are idols. They're false prophets. Do you know what? We should worship your God. He's waiting for systems to be overturned. He's hoping that policies will change. He's waiting for the hearts of people to be orient, reorientated back to the glory of Yahweh and God. But do you know what? There's no change. There's nothing. There's no change. There's only a further um, threat of death. And Elijah is scared. Because who wouldn't be when that has just happened? It made no difference. All the effort, the power, the demonstration of God's reality uh, resulted in nothing. And so Elijah is in deep disappointment. He's in despair. And he decides, fearing his life, to run to the desert to go and uh, hide. He sits under a tree. And um, at this point, um, he is desperate. He is defeated. He lets his staff go. He says, you know, I'm done. Go, don't come with me. He lets his, his staff go. Um, he quits. He's over it. Nothing happened. He put out like his, you know, your front foot, your best leg, the best thing you could possibly do. And what did it achieve? So he sits under this tree and he prays um, that he will, he will die that uh, he doesn't want to go on. He's giving up. And uh, under that tree, in his moment of despair, despondency, deep disappointment, um, an angel of the Lord arrives. And this angel of the Lord bakes him some bread on some hot coals and gives him a jar of water. He encourages him to rest. He feeds his body. He tells him to sleep. He wakes him up. He says, eat some more. You need to be strengthened for the journey ahead. And he, and he has this time in the desert where this angel uh, feeds his soul, looks after him, tenders him. Never underestimate the angelic gift of food and company when actually people are really feeling tough and in deep pain. 
And uh, it's here that we start this story. It's here that we join Elijah today uh, in, this, in this chapter. So all that has just happened and, uh, and we hear. He's strengthened by the food and he travels for 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, but many commentators uh, say that there's another name for the mountain of Horeb, this mountain of God, maybe a name that's more famous to you, Mount Sinai, is this same mountain. And generations before Elijah travelled on this perhaps pilgrimage to this mountain, there was another prophet that went up this mountain, who was commissioned from this mountain, who was given the law from God to this mountain, whose fire fell on this mountain, whose glory passed on this mountain. Elijah travels back to the place where we know the story of Moses, that that place, that Mount Sinai. Um, One uh, commentator says, perhaps no spot on earth is more associated with the manifestation, manifested presence of God than on that sacred mount. Why did Elijah go there? Like, why did he travel 40 days and 40 nights to go there? I've been racking my brain about this. Perhaps in the hunt and in the hope for those same things that Moses experienced. He's just had this moment of Mount Carmel. He's looking for God to show up in power again. We need more of you, God. We need more of your power. We need more of your demonstration. And uh, like Moses, when there was thunder, when there was fire, like Moses, your people would turn back to you and follow you. Show us your power, O Lord, our God. And I wonder if you've ever done that, if you've gone back to this place where great things happened in the past, in the hope that maybe they would happen again today. A remaking of the magic, a longing of something. Sometimes we return somewhere in order to help us go forward. But also, perhaps like Elijah was in that moment, so often we also find ourselves looking for those mountaintop moments, those spectacular things, those extraordinary things, those things of might and demonstration of the power of God, and we long for it. But this story suggests that actually God is speaking in a different way. Um, Mike uh, Pilavachi from Soul Survivor recently posted, and he said this. Most of us are wired to hunt for the spiritual in the spectacular, while often it is found in the ordinary and the mundane. We've boxed God into speaking impressively and missed that he prefers to speak lovingly. God whispers because his priority is intimacy, not entertainment. God asks Elijah that same question that we ask. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah was listening to his fears when he ran and hid. All the other times God had directed him, but this time he was scared and he ran. He was listening to the voice of others and it made him afraid. He was listening to his own voice and it told him, you are alone, there is no one else, you are by yourself. 
God's question helps him think about those fears. N.T. Wright says that this 40 days pilgrimage um, to this mountain, it was this journey to a deep place within himself where he could speak his pride and his pain. And he could hear from God the word which both humbles and heals and recommissions. The Lord said, the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And here we have like the big moment, the climactic arc of the story. God is telling Elijah to go out, leave the cave, stand on the side of the mountain. I'm about to go past, just like he did with Moses. It could have been all that Elijah was hoping for, all that he needed. And then we'll read. Verse 11, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I almost imagine at each act, Elijah, like recalling that story of Moses, Exodus 19, 18. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The whole mountain trembled violently. This is what Elijah knew. It's what he had seen. It's what he was hoping for. But God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake and God was not in the fire. God was doing a new thing. We've been listening to this series, The Voice of God, because we're asking God, are you doing a new thing? He says, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? What new thing is God doing with us as a community? What new thing is God wanting to invite us to as All Saints Peckham in our community, together in this church that we might hear? What thing might he be whispering to us? Elijah was zealous. He was expecting God to show up in a certain way, just as many expected the Messiah to show up with all the power and the might to overthrow governing systems, to establish a new kingdom with might and sword, a kingdom to rule over those that have been the oppressors. But God was doing something in a different way. He is not confined to our expectations or the image that we make of him. We were discussing this in our small group recently, and um, someone very wise in our small group said that God subverts our preconceived ideas. He's not conformed to the culture of our expectations. He challenges our understanding of what is considered powerful, what is considered to demonstrate his glory and who he is. It's interesting because this passage and actually the whole story, it strikes me that God is talking a whole lot through this whole story. God is saying loads of things. He tells Elijah where to go. He tells him how he'll find food. He hears him cry earlier and he resurrects a young boy. God brings fire down on Mount Carmel. He has an angel cook for him. He tends to him. He encourages Elijah to rest, to sleep, to eat. God asks Elijah questions. Why are you here? What are you doing? He tells him where to stand. Go stand over there. God is not quiet in this story. So why is the thing that we take as the voice This gentle whisper, this passage recognises that sheer silence, that gentle whisper as the voice of God. 
It might say gentle whisper, it might say still small voice in, in some um, translations, it will call it sheer silence. And the reason we know that that's the bit that recognises the voice of God is because Elijah responds. He takes the hem of his cloak and he covers his face, just as Moses did when the glory of God was passing by, because he knows that he needs to, to, to hide himself, to humble himself before the real presence of God. Elijah is on the mountaintop looking for a power and a plan but God meets him in his presence, in this sheer silence of God's holy presence. And you know what? My prayers, I'm often seeking a plan. I'm often looking for the words, the action, the direction, the answer. But I feel that perhaps God is waiting for me to seek his presence, inviting us to abide in him. A whisper as you may have said at the start, is only for the listening ear. When you are listening, no one needs to shout. It asks us to quieten the surrounding noise around us and invites us to come close. Elijah was desperate to hear. His expectations were high. His posture was full of intent and God responded with intimacy and with closeness. Um, I don't know if you've seen um, The Chosen. Has anyone seen that drama series, The Chosen, about Jesus' life? Okay, so I've been quite enjoying it. And um, they, there's this moment they depict Nicodemus. I feel like it's in the Bible, so I'm not doing too many spoilers here. Um, but um, so Nicodemus and Jesus are chatting, and Jesus asks Nicodemus to, to come be with him and to follow him. And, um, and you know, when I think about who are the Bible characters that you might associate yourself to, I think I've often felt like, oh, I'd be a bit like Peter, because I'm really passionate about Jesus. I'm full of enthusiasm, but I get things wrong quite a lot, and I miss the mark all the time. But you know, when I watched that, I was like, oh no, I'm not sure I'm like Peter. Maybe I'm like Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was a good man. He gave his resources, his money, his time, his words to serve and strengthen people's devotion of God. He did loads of really good things. But when I watched that series, what he missed out on was that ultimate call to follow Jesus and be present with him, to be in the presence of Christ, to be with him, to not just do the works of him, but to be with him, to abide in him, to dwell with him. There are two things that God equips Elijah with his presence, and his people. Elijah feels alone and afraid, like he's the only one. And then all those verses at the end where you're like, go and anoint this person and do this and anoint that person, then go over to that place and anoint this person. What is God doing? God is is giving Elijah people. He is giving him a friend in Elisha. He is giving him a successor. He is giving him people. And then at the end, almost like this footnote in verse 18, it says... And by the way, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There is a community for you. There is my people there. You are not as alone as you might think you are. Elijah's circumstances do not change. God asks him, what's he doing here? And Elijah says exactly the same thing to God. It's exactly the same question that he said before the giant gentle whisper came. But what has changed? 
What has changed in that moment? Elijah's courage had been found in the big and the mighty. But what equips him now is the presence of God and the company of community. What equips us? The presence of God and the company of community. And you know what? I am longing all the time, like even when we heard those prayers, for God to come and fix our world, to make it better, to make it whole, to eradicate poverty, to overcome injustice, to dismantle racism, to keep those who are vulnerable safe, home safe, street safe, to remove corruption. But you know what? This model that we have isn't always this dramatic fire that comes, this momentous power that just overtakes everything. The model we have is the mysterious the compelling and the forever intriguing narrative of the divine who chose to become human, where his response to injustice, brokenness, pain was to step in and put skin on us and walk amongst us, inviting us as the church to do as Christ did, to love as Christ loved and to participate in what he is doing. So to close, how do we apply this? Firstly, where are you listening to God? Is it in the spectacular or can we listen really close sometimes for those ordinary moments? God subverts some of the powers that be. And are we expecting God to speak from the usual power bases? Or is there another way? Is there an unexpected way God might be whispering? Um, People say that innovation rarely comes from the centre. It rarely comes from the institution And maybe there is something in that, because maybe God is doing something new, and testing happens in the wilderness, and creativity comes from the margins. So where are you listening to God? And is there somewhere to listen where God might not sound as you expect him to sound? Secondly, in community, in fellowship, in opening scripture together through the word of God, this whispered narrative through all of time. Um, Rene August is a theologian and priest um, in what um, she's described as the lands of the Khoi and the Sounds people, the country now known as South Africa and in a city now known as Cape Town. And she talks about interpreting the scripture in a diverse community. And this ability to see context and how... um, how we interpret scriptures in a diverse community and the ability to see how the context and the experience can affect how we see scripture. What does it mean to read the parable of the lost son through the lens of economics or reading it through the lens of land, geography, spatial justice? I've been part of a small group for about two years and we've been reading scripture together and trying to understand the influence it might have for us thinking about an imperialism or how colonialism might have influenced our theology or recognising that we are in a Western individualised context. And lastly, so read scripture Read it through different lenses. Explore our own biases. Look for lenses of which we can read scripture in a diverse community. And lastly, in silence, stillness, and solitude. When when Biju spoke a few weeks ago, he talked about creating rhythms, meditation, centering, simple prayers, moments that quiet the surrounding noise and uh, help us to listen to that whisper to find it. I personally am a long way from cracking this nut and I feel like it might be a lifetime's endeavour for me. But there's some things that I found that help me. 
One is sometimes I dance when no one's looking in, in my kitchen, uh, usually to worship by common hymnal. And I do that in part because when I'm still, I like to feel like that breath in my lungs and in that stillness know that the life inside me. Or I have a favourite spot, I crack open our back door and whether it's cold or warm, I sit with a cup of tea because um, in my moments of kind of solitude, I want, I want to feel the elements of the outdoors on me. And so I do something that, that helps me. I'm kind of quiet, but there's something um, for me to engage with, the cold, the wind, the rain, the, the sun. And um, if I'm also honest, often I uh, listen to a prayer app because it's accessible and it's manageable for me. Um, usually to Lectio 365 by 24-7 Prayer, which I highly recommend. Um, and so what could you be creating that helps you build this practice of stillness, of solitude, of silence, that takes the reality of the intimacy with Christ to lean in and to listen, to know that it doesn't come in the profound or necessarily the audible voice. It might be coming through the narrative of Scripture. And I want to um, close by reading you something and then I'll pray. Because we want to hear God through the clamor of the world around us. But life is rarely set to a slower pace. And it often, in fact, feels like an accelerated, frenetic race. We are hyperlinked with multi-careering, infograzing, media-addicted participants, a generation immersed in content. If we're not creating it, we're consuming it. A non-stop 24-7 cycle of unending access to information caught in a social media time warp of drama, news and nonsense. Life is noisy, quiet is rare and silence can feel lonely. We succeed but we might feel unsettled. We're anxious despite our achievements. We ask, how are you? Oh, I'm good, busy. It's a frail acknowledgement that our time is taken by the things that, does, that demand it, not by the things that we have designed for it. We are rushing into all of the moments, lacking the margins of grace and missing the marks that matter. Are we restless if it is not relentless? Is distraction the cost that I pay for the liberation of freedom that eludes me because I don't know how to practice the sacredness of stillness? The sheer silence, the gentle whisper, it is an invitation to be still, to find holy solitude, to be liberated by the, the silence, to carve a Sabbath and to find shalom, to retreat in order to go forward better. How did God equip Elijah? With his presence and with his people. All saints, what does God give to us? He gives himself and he gives us each other. Let's pray. Uh, the band is welcome to come up. Dear Lord, we know that you are with us always whether we feel like we're hiding in a cave, giving up under a tree, on a, a mountaintop, hoping that it would be like it used to be. Lord, you invite us uh, into your presence, not alone, but with one another. Lord, you invite us to walk down the mountain and into community, to pursue you, to learn about you together.
Lord, if we uh, feel like we're under a tree today, I pray that we may um, have some angelic friendships that bring us food and company. If we are seeking your plan, may you guide us by your presence, knowing that you invite us into friendship with you. And Lord, when the noise is so loud, may we take the time, quieten the noise, set our intent on you, that we may be listening closely enough to hear a whisper. Mm-hmm.